0: Roy Young here this morning. and uh, But even more than that, we have an incredible opportunity as a church to participate in something that God's really doing in our city, which is even more exciting to me. And that is that our pastor, Pastor Byron, is um, sharing the Word of God at Living Waters Four Square Church. And their pastor is here with us, like Byron announced last Sunday, and um, Pastor Roy was telling me before the service that, that, to his knowledge, something like this hasn't happened in this in Mooresville in over 20 years. So, um, so I'm just excited. You know, that's really neat that God's doing that. And um, Pastor Roy, how long have you been in Mooresville? 20 years. So, um, you know. I've heard Jim and Byron say that they really feel like um, Roy is one of the um, one of the the main keys or one of the main pastors of the city. You know, so we don't just welcome here, him as a pastor of another church in Mooresville. We welcome him here this morning as one of our pastors of this city. You know, so said, let's, so let's give him a hand, Pastor Roy.
1: Wow. I'd like to borrow your worship team. Could I do that? Awesome. Absolutely awesome. I want to tell you, uh, well, let me put it this way to you. How many of you have got kind of strange gifts from time to time? Christmas time, some of your relatives have given you some real wacky gifts. Yeah. But, But because of the person that gave you the gift... You take real good care of that thing. I mean, you might hide it away until they come visiting, but you never want to break it. You never want to lose it. You want to keep it because of the person that gave you the gift. Now, how many of you believe that pastors are gifts to the church? All right. Now, you're blessed with an awesome pastor. You're blessed with a man that I personally would gladly follow follow in the Lord anywhere. He is a leader, he is gifted, and he's been given to you. Now, who gave him to you? Okay. The way you treat Byron and Becky reflects on what you think of the one who gave them to you. Take good care of them. See, I can't say that in my church, but I can come here and say it. There was some debate as to whether I should wear a tie this morning. Let me tell you why preachers quit wearing ties. It's because they started preaching the word of God. And when they got to the end of the service, you see, anybody that didn't like what they were preaching could take their tie and just they could get hung by their tie. Right. But I took care of that. We're going to try and do a whole book of the Bible this morning. A whole book of the Bible. I don't know if Byron's a short preacher or a long preacher. I have no idea. And you just hang with me. If you get through before I do, you just go ahead and leave. It's all right. How many of you know that most of the books in the Bible were written by Jews? Except for one, there was a little Italian guy right at the end of uh, Israel's history who came and wrote a book in the Bible. Uh, it was it was an unusual time in uh, in Israel's history. They just come back from captivity in Babylon. You know, the story of Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple. But things were not the way they used to be. You remember when they rebuilt the temple? The old folks remembered the old temple. They were crying. The new folks, the young folks that saw the new one, they were excited. So they were cheering and you couldn't tell the cheering from the crying. Well, as time went on, you know, Israel was not what it used to be, and they got kind of down about that, and they got disappointed about that. And along came this little Italian guy. I think he was uh, one of these guys that was spying the land for Rome or something. His name's Malachi. (laughs) You don't know they said it that way or not. Malachi is the book right before Matthew. I have this vision, you know, this little little guy, bald-headed guy with a hooked nose comes running into Israel and starts talking to them. Now, that introduces where we're at. We're at the book of Malachi, if you're Jewish, Malachi, if you're Italian. <laughs> How many of you talk to God? All of you. How many of you stop and listen to what he has to say? Perhaps the most difficult thing about following God is stopping and listening to what He has to say because sometimes we don't like what He says. We don't like what He says. Because God doesn't fool around with you. God doesn't come and soft-soap you and tell you that you're something that you're not. God comes to you right where you are and He tells you what you ought to be and He tells you how you can be what He wants you to be. But He doesn't fool around with you and come and give you all kinds of nice, kind words building you up into something that you're not yet. He comes and meets you right where you are right now. And he comes to you irregardless of your age, irregardless of how long you've walked with him. He wants to talk with you on a daily basis. And the book of Malachi is a book of a conversation that God has with his people. Now, I'm going to try to run through it. You probably get the Reader's Digest condensed version this morning. But, uh, you see, I don't worry about anything like that. I used to worry when I got through preaching, I used to go home and I used to say, gosh, I forgot to give that point. Man, that was so important. And then the Lord said to me, no, you didn't forget to give that point. I didn't want you to give it. And I'm like, but God, it was so cool. I mean, I, I really would have gotten a response from that. He says, yeah, I know. I know. I can tell them that. Oh, oh." You can tell them that. You remember when Jesus said, you have no need of a teacher because you have the Holy Spirit with you. So you can take this book after we've run through it this morning. You can take it home and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me more in here. And he will. And every time you read it, the Holy Spirit will come to you and reveal to you more truth in this book. But we're going to take a run at it. You know, when God comes to you, he always comes to you and says, I love you. And some of you doubt that. Some of you doubt that. See, you might be like Israel. Nehemiah and Ezra have come along, they've built the walls, they've built the temple. So that part's done. But you're not too happy with the way things are going. You're not, you're not prospering in the way that you think you ought to prosper. You're not blessed in the way that you think you ought to be blessed. And you get to a place eventually where you say, I don't think you love me, Lord. I've been in Mooresville 20 years. I hate to tell you the number of times I've said to God, why did you bring me to Mooresville? (laughs) Nobody knows where Mooresville is. I mean, Lord, you know, I could have gone anywhere in the United States, but Mooresville. Then he started bringing race teams here. People started knowing where Mooresville was. People started moving into the area. And I I hate to tell you that God's had me waiting 20 years for all these good things to happen. But I'm telling you, God does things in his time, not ours. But the number of times I've said, do you still love me, Lord? And God comes to each one of you and starts out with Malachi's message. I have loved you deeply, says the Lord. And just like us, if we're honest. Now, if we're religious, we won't do it. If we're religious, we'll say something like. Yea, verily, Lord, I knowest that thou hast loved me at the, at the utmost. Too. Yes, I knowest it, Lord. Oh, you'll say something like that, but in your heart you're saying, but do you know what's going on in my life? Do you know what's happening, Lord? You say you love me. Now, to Israel, he said this. They said, really, how have you loved us? And the Lord replies, I showed my love for you by loving your ancestor Jacob. Yet Esau was Jacob's brother. I rejected Esau, devastated his hill country. In other words, I rejected Esau. I loved you. And it goes on there and tells you what he does with Jacob and Esau. And that was the reason God came to him and said, I've proved I've loved you. Look, I chose Jacob, which means I chose you. But on our day, in our day today, when God comes to us and says, I have loved you, we have something more than Israel had back then. We have something absolutely incredible. We have the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God comes to you and says, I have loved you, He doesn't need to show it in any other way than to tell you to go look at the cross. We must never question God's love for us. You know, I'm fast understanding. I, I know I look young for my age, but I've been living a long time. Sixty years old. Tell, tell somebody, he looks young for his age. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Inside, I'm still 18. Just can't move like I used to. But the number of times that God comes to you and says, I've loved you. I've loved you. And we have to go back to the cross. What I have learned is that this life is incredibly short. It'll be over before you know it. And guess what Jesus has bought for us at the cross? He's bought eternity for you and me. He's, he's gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we will be also. And as we struggle through this life, and for some of you that are young, seems like this life stretches way ahead. It doesn't, folks. It doesn't. You know, I, my dad passed away last year, 94 years old. When he passed 90 years old, I said to him, Dad, I said, how does it feel to be 90? He says, oh, it feels feels fine. It feels... Did you ever think you'd get to be 90? No, I never thought I'd live this long. I said, well, what about 90 bothers you? He said, the thing that bothers me is I have a son that's almost 60 years old. (laughs) It passes fast. You're not long in this world, but you're forever with God. And when you ask God, do you really love me, Lord? Do you look at my circumstances now and do you love me? Remember Jesus died on the cross so that your eternity would be secure and your God's love for you should never be in doubt. You should never doubt his love because he showed it on Calvary. He goes on. Jesus the God the Father is talking here in verse 6. The Lord Almighty says to the priests a son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. I'm your father and master, but where is the honor and respect I deserve? You have despised my name. Now, the Israelites are just like us. They go, huh? What? what? I, I, this, this is the response. Huh? You can see them almost wrinkling their nose, right? Huh? How have we despised your name? Come on, God. How have we? De- You're God. You're the Almighty. How have we despised your name? And God gives them the answer. You've despised my name by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. Try giving gifts like that to your governor. Go ahead and beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asks the Lord Almighty. What, what's he talking about here? He's talking about Israel bringing him the leftovers. Just bringing him what's left. The things that they really don't want. They're, bringing, they're coming, they're making sacrifice in the temple. They're in church every Sunday morning. They put something in the offering every Sunday morning. But then they leave, and Monday through Saturday belongs to them, and they just give him the leftovers. That's why Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. My body? God wants my body? Yeah, if he gets your body, he's got everything that you are. God's not interested in your pocketbook unless it comes along with your body. He wants to work through your body through the week. He wants you to sacrifice yourself to Him Monday through Saturday. Come here on Sunday and praise Him for what He's done Monday through Saturday. See, worship, worship here is no better than if you haven't seen Him work in your life Monday through Saturday and you've got something to praise Him for. By the way, you've already heard a mighty sermon this morning from Sarah. And I want to touch on that later on because it's right in the middle of this book here. What she said. It's absolutely awesome and powerful what God just spoke to the church through her. And I hope you caught it. And if you didn't, I'll repeat it when we get there. But we think we give God our tithes and we give God our offerings. But He wants more than that. He wants us. He wants us through the week. And He doesn't want our leftovers. Sunday is not the day of the week for us to come and just give what's left after the week's finished. He wants us Monday through Saturday. That's how we honor his name, and we despise his name when we think that we do it Sunday morning and we've got it finished. You know what he says about Sunday morning? This is awful. This is awful. If he ever says this about living waters, I'll be be horrified. I wish someone among you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices couldn't be offered. I'm not at all pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will not accept your offerings. God doesn't want leftovers. He wants all you have and all you are. But, he says, my name will be honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they will offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name, for my name is great among the nations. Do you realize that was written before you were born? Do you realize you're the fulfillment of that prophecy? Isn't that awesome? My name will be honored among the nations. And here we are. Now, we're not Israelites. We're Americans. Mixed bunch, aren't we? Yeah. Some of you were born Americans. I chose to be an American. (laughs) But we are offering sweet worship and praise to Him in fulfillment of this prophecy. My name is great among the nations. You dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at his command, says the Lord Almighty. Think of it. Animals that are stolen, mutilated, crippled and sick, presented as offerings. Should I accept from you offerings as these, ask the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is feared among the nations. Listen, it's okay in times of service, in times of revival, to come forward to the altar and offer yourself to the Lord. But don't forget you've done it. Don't forget you've done it. Don't forget some of the promises you made to him during times when the Holy Spirit was moving in this place or some other place and you came forward and prostrated yourself before him and said, Lord, I give you my everything and then you give him the leftovers. Now, before we get in the second chapter, how are we doing so far? Before we get in the second chapter, let me establish something I think you all believe. But if you don't, you sort it out later because we don't have time to argue about it now. There was a priesthood in Israel, wasn't there? The Levites. And we understand sometimes, at least I've heard people, when, when people start talking about the priests in the New Testament, Old Testament, I've heard people say, well, this is the preachers. This is the apostles and the prophets and the preachers and the evangelists. Now, we understand, don't we, that we are all priests. Do you know God wanted Israel to be that? God wanted Israel. When He called Israel out of Egypt, He says, I've got a plan for you. I want to make you a nation of priests to the world. And then they got to where Moses went up in the mountain and they were down on the plain and they decided they wanted a golden calf. And God sent Moses back down and Moses had to say, the Levites are going to be the priests because you people need priests. I wanted you to be the priests, but you people need priests. Listen, don't ever get in the kind of attitude that the priests today are the pastors and the preachers and the teachers. You're the priests. You're the priests called to intercede between God and man. You're the priests that have, have a message of reconciliation between God and man for the world. Every one of us. Now, now we've settled that. Now we can understand the second chapter talks to everybody. Okay? Good. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and take it to heart. Honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. Now, I don't know what that does with your theology, and I don't really care. Just understand, that's what God said, and when he said it, he means he can do it. Now, how you work it out is fine with me. I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Oh, my goodness. You know, we've been through an era in America where we believe that God wants us to have the best of everything. I think God wants us to be the best. And anything that he gives to us, he gives us to use for the kingdom. And if we'll use it for the kingdom, he'll give us the best. But I do not believe that God wants us flowing with money and having all these wonderful possessions today, I think he's more interested in us laying up treasures in heaven than laying up treasures on earth. But we've been through an era in the church where it's been preached that if God's blessing is on you, it means that you're going to have plenty of money. And I'm not against people having plenty of money. God bless you. I Listen. There was a time in my ministry here in Mooresville where I was making killer money painting houses on the lake. I'd established a reputation as being one of the best painters around. And I, I, I'd tell people I'd say, "Hey, I'm a pastor first, I'm a painter second." And so you understand if I come to paint your house, I'll go in there, I'll mess it up. I may be gone for three, four days pastoring. I'll come back and it'll be a time till I finish it. Do you understand that? Yes, we understand that. We want you to do it. And God was blessing me financially. Now, you know what's the wonderful thing about being blessed financially?
0: Giving it away.
1: It's awesome. It's awesome. If you haven't found out what it's like to give, then take what little bit you got and give it to somebody. Find somebody that's worse off than you and give. You give of your money, of yourself, of your time to others. That's where true happiness is. That's what God wants us to do. That's true blessing. But let me tell you, the blessing that God can pile in your bank account can turn around and be a curse to you. Would you like to change places with Ted Turner? I mean, he's one of the wealthiest men in the world. Would you like to trade places with him? He can't keep a wife. He goes to sleep at ball games. I mean, he's bored stiff. Somebody goes to interview him and he's swinging a sword around. I mean, you know, what's with the guy? He's miserable. All the richest men of the world have been miserable. I think the only one that ever got any kind of happiness at all was the one that started giving his fortune away his name escapes me but that's god entered into his life he started giving it away and found peace and happiness the blessings listen that new car might be wonderful but it can turn around be a curse that big house that you just bought can be a blessing or it can be a curse are you using it for the kingdom of god or are you using it to show how wonderful you are I mean, do you do you have people in? Do you do you share the gospel with people? Is it part of the kingdom of God or is it part of your kingdom? The blessings can turn around and be cursings, and God says, "If you don't take this command to heart, I'll turn your blessings into cursings. Indeed, I've already cursed them." This gets a little nasty. I hope you understand the Bible it gets very explicit sometimes. I've already cursed them because you have not taken my warning seriously. I will rebuke your descendants and splatter your faces with the dung of your festival sacrifices, and then I'll add you to the dung heap. That's not very nice. But I tell you, God's ticked right here. God is ticked because of what his priests are doing. We haven't got to yet what he's talking about. Let's get to it. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and this is what I gave them. Is there anybody here that doesn't want life and peace? Didn't think so. Everybody wants life and peace. We want life to the fullest, don't we? Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what we want. We want life flowing through us to touch other people. That's what Christianity is all about. Listen, if, if your Christianity isn't alive, I feel for you. You're not in contact with Christ somehow. Because those that are in contact with Christ and those that are receiving from Him are receiving life from Him. He said, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will flow what? Rivers of what kind of water? Living water. God wants us to live. He wants us to live life. He wants us to have peace. In the midst of the storm, He wants us to have peace. If life is treating you wrong, God still wants you to have peace through the midst of all those trials. This is the purpose of my covenant. This called for reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people all the truth they received from me. Listen, let me tell you another little secret that will make you so happy you won't even be able to stand yourself. Get what you can out of this Bible and pass it on to somebody. There is nothing, I I don't know of anything on earth that is more fun, brings more happiness, more peace, than sharing the truth of the Word of God with somebody. I mean, I thank God for young people here. And I, I really thank God for young people that are inquisitive and asking questions and want to know. Because this Bible is full of good things. It's full of it. Older folks, are you sharing with the young people the things that you've learned through your life? That's God's purpose. If you've been walking with Jesus 40 years, I hope you've accumulated some knowledge from this word. Don't keep it to yourself. It wasn't made so much to build you up as it is living bread to give to those that are hungry, living water to pour out from you to those people that are thirsty. Give it away. But first, you've got to go to Jesus and drink. If you're thirsty, go to Jesus and drink. He'll fill you with living waters that will overflow and touch the lives of other people. This is the purpose of my covenant with the priests, says God. They passed on to the people all the truth they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me. Are we walking with God? I mean, are we truly walking with God? Is your Christianity a Sunday experience or is it a seven-day week experience? Are you walking with Him? He wants to walk with you. He's promised I'll never leave you. Been times during the day where you felt like you weren't in the presence of God. Been times during the week where you felt like you were all alone. That's the enemy lying to you because Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'm always with you. I'll walk with you. Will you walk with me? I got this vision of walking down sidewalk and Jesus wants to walk with me. He wants to go to the right. No, I want to go straight ahead. There's a problem here, right? There's a problem here. How many times have you gotten that kind of a problem? You've been walking in a place you shouldn't be walking. And Jesus is still walking with you. And he's saying, I wanted to turn right back there. This is not a good place for you to be, but I'm still with you. I'm still with you. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from the lives of sin. Man, may that be said of each one of us. May that be said of each one of us. The priest's lips should guard knowledge, and people should go to them for instructions. I haven't been a preacher all my life. In fact, I was 39 years old before I came to Mooresville, became pastor of a church. Got all beat up and... This is the result of it. What you see before you now—it's still surviving. It's amazing. But until 39 years old, I worked all kinds of jobs. I was a carpenter's helper. I was a paint contractor. I was—I worked for the railroad. I worked in banking for six and a half years. Managed to become a vice president of the bank and all that kind of good stuff. Did all kinds of things. But let me tell you, let me tell you, folks, it was walking where the world is that I found. People wanted to know about Jesus. Listen, if you will live a righteous life in front of people, if you will allow the life of Jesus to live in you and flood over from you, you don't have to go around grabbing people by the lapel and saying, you're going to hell. You need to get saved. What's the matter with you? When they see Jesus in you, when they see Jesus in you, they're going to come to you with questions. I went to work for the railroad. Everybody in Roanoke wants to work for the railroad. It's best paying place in Roanoke. You, know, you get on the railroad, you've really got it made. So I went to work for the railroad and everybody, everybody was jealous. Roy's got a job at the railroad. God gave me the job because you can't get to the railroad unless you know somebody. And I didn't know anybody. But here I was in the railroad. I was working a real wacky job. It was in uh, the steam department. Three big furnaces that churned coal in there all day long and manufactured steam. And my job was just stand there and watch the thing work. If something went wrong, we all just ran around like idiots. Nobody knew what to do, but we ran around a lot and just tried to get it done. I went to work there, and I I didn't walk in. You know, I didn't walk in with my Bible under my arm. I didn't walk in with a bunch of tracks sitting in my pocket. I just... Went in. And we got in conversation with some of the guys and the air was blue. I mean, you know, if if I didn't know better, I would think they were talking in tongues, some of the language they were using. Just incredible. I mean, you had to listen because every other word was some kind of foreign word, and it was just You had to be careful listening to them. But I, I just just let them talk. And then they come to me and say, I got this joke you got it here. I say, Is it a dirty joke? I said, Well, yeah. Well, just not Just don't want to hear it, okay? Huh? Just don't want to hear it. And I just lived the life in front of them. And I was talking to a guy one day, and he says, "I know what you are." I said, "Really? I know. I know what you are." He said, "Really? You're a Christian." I said, yeah, yeah, I've been wanting to ask a Christian some questions. (laughs) And I'm taking up too much time with this, but just to share this with you, I'll finish it so you know the end of the story. I said, "Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. He said, well, how come you don't go around preaching like Fred so-and-so over in the other? I said, because I believe my life will preach and God will reach out to you anyway. Well, i got a question for you. I've been wanting to ask a Christian this question. Who's your favorite actress? Now, this is really going to date me, right? I said, Gina Brigida. He said, huh? I said, Gina Brigida. She acted in black and white movies, and she's the prettiest actress, I've, prettiest female I've ever seen until I saw my wife. Right? <laughs> he said... He said, okay. He says, you're in a town where nobody knows you. He says, you're all by yourself.